Someone has left me a very kind little note. There's a, a napkin up here that says, We love the Cranshaws and Luke Skywalker. <laughs> and the Cranshaws want you to know we love you too. And it's a blessing to <clears throat> bring the word on this last day. <clears throat> I'm going to try not to cry until the end. I'm working real hard. <clears throat> if you would... Please take your Bibles and turn with me to the Gospel of Luke. Let's look at Luke 11, verses 14 to 28. Here we see the love and power of our Savior for us. The Gospel of Luke tells us, Jesus was driving out a demon that was mute. When the demon left, the man who had been dumb spoke. And the crowd was amazed. But some of them said, By Beelzebub, the prince of demons, he is driving out demons. Others tested him by asking for a sign from heaven. Jesus knew their thoughts and said to them, Any kingdom divided against itself will be ruined, and a house divided against itself will fall. If Satan is divided against himself, how can his kingdom stand? I say this because you claim that I drive out demons by Beelzebub. Now, if I drive out demons by Beelzebub, By whom do your followers drive them out? So then, they will be your judges. But if I drive out demons by the finger of God, then the kingdom of God has come to you. When a strong man fully armed guards his own house, his possessions are safe. But when someone stronger attacks and overpowers him, he takes away the armor in which the man trusted and divides up the spoils. He who is not with me is against me, and he who does not gather with me scatters. When an evil spirit comes out of a man, it goes through arid places, seeking rest, and does not find it. Then it says, I will return to the house I left. When it arrives, it finds the house swept clean and put in order. Then it goes and takes seven other spirits more wicked than itself, and they go in and live there. And the final condition of that man is worse than the first. As Jesus was saying these things, a woman in the crowd called out, Blessed is the mother who gave you birth and nursed you. He replied, Blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and obey it. The word of the Lord, thanks be to God. There was a terrorist attack June 15th in the western African nation of Burkina Faso. Al-Qaeda claimed credit for this attack. They attacked a hotel and two restaurants frequented by tourists and international visitors. 30 were killed, 56 were wounded, and 176 hostages were released after the government intervened and freed them from the terrorists. One of the men who was killed was a 45-year-old man named Michael Rittering. He was an orphanage director. Rittering and his wife Amy left Florida in 2011 to minister to impoverished children and widows in this African nation of 17 million people where almost 1 million are orphans. Michael and Amy brought their younger daughter with them and they also adopted two native children and they worked in an orphanage that cared for about 400 more. When the terrorists attacked, Michael Rittering was one of the men who were killed. And the terrorists said that they attacked 
in revenge against France and in revenge against the unbelieving West. This man who left Florida to go and minister to orphans was killed by hatred. He was killed by hatred. And we can look at this act and say it was an act of the devil. It was an act of the evil one. We look at the passage we just read in the gospel. And there's a great deal of talk here about Satan. Jesus is casting out demons. And all this talk, if we're honest, makes us uncomfortable. I would dare to say it aggravates us a little bit because... We're not used to thinking about Satan as having a powerful kingdom that is active today. We think, yes, maybe he is somewhere in the shadows. But does he really come after us? Does he really come after us like he did this poor, possessed man? And the scriptural answer is yes. Satan does come after us. He is a murderer of souls, and he is always attacking the church. Revelation pictures Satan as a great dragon, pursuing the church, seeking to devour God's people. He is the one who leads Babylon to become drunk on the blood of the saints. But we see Jesus here conquering and overcoming the evil one for you and I. He cast the demon out of this possessed man as a part of his great work of freeing us from the work of Satan. The Apostle John tells us in 1 John 3, this was the purpose of the appearing of the Son of God, to destroy the work of the devil. And our Savior does this for us by his life, his death, and his resurrection. But in the crowd on this day, there were doubters. And there were those who hated Jesus. And they actually accused Jesus of driving out these demons by the power of Satan. Here Satan's called Beelzebub. And Jesus is shocked at their foolishness and at their unbelief. And he looks at them and he says, What happens to countries and to families where people are fighting against each other? Do they stand or do they fall apart? The, obvious is, it's, the answer is obvious. They fall apart. And Jesus, in a sense, says, Does it look to you like Satan's kingdom is falling apart? His work is all around us, right? We look at our lives today and we see that the evil one is at work. We can ask ourselves, how many fights have we had within our own families this last week? How many hateful things have we said even to those whom we love the most? And how many different ways have we hardened our hearts against God this week? We can't even number the ways and we're not even aware of all the ways that we harden our hearts against God, and we're not aware of all the ways in which Satan constantly tempts us. Jesus is telling us in this passage, let me tell you what the spiritual realm really looks like, the evil spiritual realm. He tells us Satan and all his demons are perfectly united in their opposition to the kingdom of God and in their hatred and torture of mankind. Their fate is sealed. They are doomed. And so they constantly act out in hatred and rebellion against God and against us, his people. 
And Jesus says it is utter foolishness for them to say he's casting out demons by the power of the evil one. He says Satan is like this. He is like a ferocious strong man armed to the teeth and he guards his own home and his goods. And our problem is that Satan's home is the hearts and lives of men and women. He lives in human hearts like a parasite, ultimately destroying the very lives that are his hosts. And he always guards these homes. He is always vigilant against any threat to his power. And he constantly offers false peace. False peace with his kingdom, false peace with the world, and false peace with our own sinful nature. Our sinful nature craves this peace and rejects the conflict that naturally comes with being a Christian. As soon as we come, become believers, we are put in a place of war, war with sin and war with the evil one, and it is painful and it is uncomfortable. And we get tired of fighting and contending for the truth. And even in the church sometimes we face conflict, a place where we want to find peace and refuge and hope. And Satan can use this like a knife that he sticks in us to twist it and to torture us and to cause us to doubt the love of God for us. Satan, after all, right, is very, is very tolerant. He deceives us, he tortures us, but he is very tolerant. God is a jealous God. God says, I and I alone will be worshipped. Satan is happy to be one more God in the worldly pantheon so he can deceive you and so he can own you, body and soul. But we crave this peace. We crave this peace, but we should recognize it's always a lie. And we should also recognize something else that's very important. Satan always comes in disguise. We know this has been the case from the very beginning. In the garden, when he comes to tempt Eve, he doesn't reveal who he really is. He speaks to Eve through the serpent. And apparently for Eve, the serpent was not someone who was threatening. And Satan speaks to her and deceives her, and her and Adam fall into sin. Today, it is the same way. Satan's work among us and in the world is somewhat mysterious. You never know... Right, who the devil may be speaking through, because he is always hidden. The only way to know is to shed the light of the cross on what we say and what others say and what they do. And once we shine the light of the cross upon words and actions and even thoughts, God's truth becomes apparent and Satan's lies become apparent. This is the way that Jesus exposes the evil one. All of us know wonderful, lovely people who are not believers. All of us probably have neighbors who would do anything for us in a heartbeat. They would mow our lawns if we went on vacation. They would watch our kids. They would feed our dogs, right? They give to charitable organizations, but at the end of the day, they don't believe. And there is a hardness in their hearts. And the love of Christ revealed in the cross shows us, right, who we really are. 
And it shows the difference between believers and non-believers. And the cross reveals the very deepest truth about God, that his love for all people is infinite. And this infinite love brings our Heavenly Father to send his Son to horrible suffering, to suffer on the tree for us to take away our sins and the sins of the world. The cross reveals that God is preeminently for us. He is not against us. He is on our side. Jesus is the stronger one who is our hero, who comes to do what we can't do for ourselves. He is our risen and reigning Lord who comes to liberate us from Satan's bondage and his lies. Jesus in this story is the mighty one who comes to conquer Satan for you. And the good news for us today is that Jesus' work doesn't stop at his ascension. It has continued on to this day, and Jesus' work will continue until he returns back in power and glory. How do we know this? Jesus in John 12 is talking to the disciples before he goes to the cross, and he says, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do, and greater works than these he will do, because I am going to the Father. It's always been a strange passage for me. I've wondered, how in the world are we going to do greater works than Jesus? And what Jesus means is this. He came and he took on flesh. And he lived, he died, and he rose again for us. And he did all this in a very little small part of the world. There were many people who saw him and experienced his miracles. But only this little small part of the world saw him and could reach out and touch him. And Jesus tells us that he has ascended and he reigns. And through us, his people, he continues his great work of driving out the devil and liberating people from the evil one and bringing new life by his cross. His work continues through us. And you and I are called to believe that. Now, there are a whole host of reasons why we could doubt it. We see our sin and we see the sin in the church, but we are called to believe that Jesus carries on this work. And how important it is for us to believe this. Because Jesus, in the passage we read, goes on to tell us that Satan does not give up easily. He does not give up easily. He tells this frightening story. In verses 24 to 26, he says, When the unclean spirit has gone out of a person, it passes through arid places seeking rest, and finding none, it says, I will return to my house from which I came. And when it comes, it finds the house swept and put in order. Then it goes and brings seven other spirits, more evil than itself, and they enter and dwell there, and the last state of the person is worse than first. What is a frightening, frightening passage that should bring us back to Christ and see his power and love and glory for us. Jesus is telling us here that the demons and the evil one are always hungry to torture and to afflict us. And where they can, to take up a place to dwell. They are murderers of souls. And this is a reality. We can't see it with our physical eyes, but we can see the evidence of it. 
One pastor has said this, the human soul is truly a house that needs an occupant. And if it is left empty, an undesirable tenant will take up residence. When Satan is driven out, the void must be filled by Jesus, or Satan will return with even more force and hatred. Now certainly, there are different kinds of demonic influence. And what we see in this passage was out-and-out demonic possession. I, for one, don't doubt that that still happens today. I count it a huge blessing that we don't see that very often in this country, but I do believe it happens. But Satan and the evil one constantly harass us. And if we leave our houses empty, if we are not constantly filled up with Jesus, the evil one will find a way in. He will find a way to cause us to doubt the love and grace and mercy of God. And he will draw us away. He will separate us from the church. He will separate us from the herd. And he will prey upon us. And our eyes should constantly be on Jesus, who comes to us out of love and out of mercy. There's an amazing story of what it looks like when a man goes from darkness to light. It's the story of a Japanese convert to Christianity named Mitsuo Fushida. He was the man who led the attack on Pearl Harbor. He was the first pilot on the scene, and he was the last one to leave. And after he left Pearl Harbor in ruins and had slaughtered many, many Americans, he was joyful. He rejoiced at the great victory he and the Japanese had had. But at the end of the war, when the Japanese leaders were taken on board the USS Missouri, Mitsuo Fushida was there, and he saw that the Japanese Empire had lost. They were beaten. They were defeated. And most of his friends were dead and gone. And all of it seemed like a lost cause. And he was bitter. He was angry. <clears throat> and he, buried, he drowned himself in the bottle. He, he drowned himself in anger and resentment. He was a broken and a bitter man. And then one day, he encountered some Japanese prisoners of war that had been freed by our country. And he asked them, how were you treated? He expected them to say, we were treated horribly. And these Japanese POWs said, we were treated very well. And he couldn't believe it. And these men that he met talked about a woman named Peggy Covell. She had ministered to these Japanese POWs and showed them the love of Christ. Her parents had been missionaries in the East, and the Japanese had killed them. They had beheaded them. But she said, I know that my parents would want me to forgive them out of love and faith for Christ. And so she was able to forgive, and she was able to love these Japanese prisoners of war. And Fushida was amazed by this. He had been a nominal follower of the Japanese state religion, which was Shinto, and there was no place in Shinto that allowed for this kind of love and forgiveness. He went on to hear a story about another American POW named Jacob DeShazer. He had been tortured by the Japanese, but he had come to forgive them after reading the New Testament. A missionary passed out a tract 
about Deshazer to Farshida, and he read it. And he was prompted to go and get a New Testament. And he sat down and he read the Gospel of Luke. And he was engaged and he was drawn into the story. And he says, when he read, Jesus cry out from the cross, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. He was converted. He was changed. He was transformed. And after many years of being in church and being discipled, he went and preached the gospel all over Japan to thousands of people. And he came to this country. He came to Pearl Harbor. And he preached the gospel there. He is an amazing picture of what it means to go from darkness to light. He was bound up in hatred and sin in the darkness of the kingdom of the evil one. And Jesus, by his love and grace, brings him to a place of love and freedom and forgiveness. And his entire family is converted. And so we see how real the power of the gospel is in his life and in our lives. But here's where it gets a little difficult. Here's where we scratch our heads. The strange thing is that Jesus extends his work to the, to the ends of the earth by very simple means. He extends his saving work to the very ends of the earth by the means of grace. Means that we find very simple. Means that we despise and count as nothing. Jesus, to extend his kingdom, gives us the word of God. In law and in gospel, he gives us baptism and the Lord's Supper. And Jesus says, by these, I give you new life. And I give you, my people, the ability to destroy and roll back Satan's kingdom. It is in this way that Christ is present with us and working among us. Now, our sinful hearts, we, we want to roll our eyes and we want to go to sleep. And so often we, we think of church as a place to take a nap, right? We think of church as a place to plan out our week that's coming. Oh, we take it as an opportunity to murder our neighbor and our hearts who's a couple rows ahead of us. But Jesus says, these are my ways. These are my means that I bring the life-saving work of the cross to you today. It's all good news. It's all good news. The proclamation of Christ crucified for you is truly the living, breathing voice of God. Speaking to you today, it's a gift. It's not our work, but it's a gift that God gives us. When we come to be baptized, we are, as Paul says in Romans 6, baptized into the death and resurrection of Jesus. What an amazing and tremendous mystery. We don't understand it, but we simply believe it. And we look at baptism, we say, this is not our work. This is God's work. No man came up with baptism. God came up with baptism. Jesus is baptized for us, and he gives it to us. And we're baptized in his name. When we come to the Lord's Supper that we will partake of shortly, we also come and receive it, not as a work, but as a gift. It's God's work. And the scriptures say that when we come, we are partaking of the Lord's body and blood in a mysterious way beyond what we can understand. And we're coming and we're receiving forgiveness and peace 
and Jesus. And Christ's call upon us this morning is to be faithful to believe, to ask God to help our unbelieving hearts, and to trust in these simple mysteries that Jesus calls the means of grace. The Apostle Paul in Ephesians warns us of turning back to Satan's lies and bondage. He says, once you were in darkness, now you are light in the Lord. Walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. And we do this not by our own power, but by receiving Jesus where he promises to be. In the preach word of the gospel and in the sacraments. And here we come and we receive deliverance from the evil one. And we receive Jesus' righteousness. At the end of the passage we read, it, it ends in kind of a funny way. A woman cries out from the crowd and she says, Blessed is the womb that bore you and the breast that nursed you. And Jesus contradicts her. He says, More blessed still are those who hear the word of God and keep it. He turns her attention back to the simplicity of the word because God's word is alive, killing the old man, bringing new life in Christ in each of our hearts. The reason that the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil, to drive him out, to roll back his kingdom, to bring new life. And God calls us to do something very, very simple. He calls us to give thanks and to receive and experience the present reality of forgiveness and freedom so that we can serve our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, in love. Let us pray. Our Heavenly Father, we rejoice that we are your people. And we rejoice that you make the wisdom of the world foolishness by using such humble means as the preach word and baptism and the Lord's Supper to create a new, mighty, and everlasting kingdom. We pray that our hearts would be filled and overflow with love and gratitude because you have made us yours. Let us serve each other in joy. In Christ's name, amen.